You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. The entire country mourned as if he were one of our own. That's the reaction to the death of John F. Kennedy in a surprising place. Another place was the Soviet Union. Donald J. Raleigh's excellent Soviet baby boomers gives us a viewpoint of what many people in Russia thought at the time in 1963. It's a book that features actual interviews with a group of baby boomer adults that lived in the USSR. His take was, despite the fact that Kennedy took a tough stance against Khrushchev in negotiations, for average people, the Soviet Union was kind of rediscovering the West during the Khrushchev years. Such a handsome figure, one of Raleigh's interviewees said, as the American president, and the contrast with the Russian leaders, evoked sympathy. It was reported over and over again in the Soviet news, with images of the president of the United States hunched over. It was on TV all the time. There were some shocking reactions. One said that she thought Kennedy always looked Russian, and another was so mad at what happened that after the fall of the Soviet Union and moving to America, she retained, this is a Russian moving to America, a fierce hatred of Texas, because that's where the assassination had taken place. Others feared revenge since Marina Oswald grew up in Minsk. So uh, Raleigh's book, So Yeah, Baby Boomers, which is good for a lot of other reasons too, reveals that not surprisingly, Russians were skeptical of the official stories in the news and... Oswald's role, and believe there was a conspiracy. Another question from Daniel Phelps, and again, this one goes back in July. New listener here. Loving the show. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, I don't know if it's already been done, but I would love to hear your take on our party system, how it developed, and why does it tend towards two parties, a history of third parties, and what would it take to have a robust multi-party system? Thanks, Daniel. I've touched on it in a lot of episodes. I've also looked at Canadian and British systems where it can lead to unhappiness of a sort. This multi-party system can lead to unhappiness of a sort. In other words, people going out and voting in majority for a certain ideology and ending up with the party that got one third of the vote because it just happened to be slightly more than the other two fighting against each other in all the little parties. So think that um, my main podcast on this topic about third parties was called The Moped and the Maserati. And that was a quote given by David Garth, who was the campaign manager for John Anderson back in 1980. And he said, you know, running against the two parties was like running a moped against a Maserati. They just had so many problems. And the American system being that you have the, the split power between the branches 
it's hard to maintain a runs to be serious. You really have to run for both Congress and president, but it's hard to run, you know, in 435 congressional districts as a third party in order to be successful. If you don't do that, you don't have the reinforcement of the down ticket pushing the top ticket up. Uh, both are important at different times. Last election, you saw that down ticket push up where there were places where senators got more votes than President Trump running on the GOP ticket. Another factor that really hurt John Anderson is they did polls, and the polls said, they asked two questions. Would you vote for John Anderson? And it was you know, a fairly low number. And they said, well, would you vote for John Anderson if you thought that he had a chance to win? And the number goes up to almost 25%. And in the end, he got about 6%. So third parties are crippled by a feeling that they can't win. But I actually think that even though it hasn't happened in a serious way yet, we're actually in a great spot for a third-party candidate running for president because you have the Internet, the ability to organize there. There's a kind of anti-establishment streak in American politics. And it's a separate presidential election. So in some of these other places... You've got to win parliamentary seats in, in all sorts of places. You can't just be generally popular through the country, whereas uh, a well-funded candidate in America could start running, kind of like Perot did, and build some momentum in one single election campaign. So we'll keep watching. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face Off launches... April 9th. It's difficult to think about the 1952 campaign when one is used to the primary politics of today. Because on the Democratic side, Adelaide Stevenson, who was the Democratic candidate in 1952, did not win a single primary. And yet he became the party's nominee. In fact, he wasn't even one of the early people being talked about. Kashif Khan writes, could you do a brief summary of the 1952 Democratic primary campaigns? I have trouble wrapping my head around a couple of facts. How did 
Kefauver, he's talking about Estes Kefauver, the senator from Tennessee, not get the nomination outright, despite winning the majority of primaries. As I understand it, the Democratic Party in many states were against his anti-organized crime stance and refused to back him. Right. That is definitely part of it. I mean, they didn't directly come out and say they were against him fighting organized crime. But one of the things that he was doing with one of the first nationally televised congressional hearings in 1951, you you just started having houses getting TV stats, and uh, that was generating press. And yes, it was exposing some of the connections between city bosses and organized crime. Um, But what you had is only a few of the states had primaries that year. So like Pennsylvania and Maryland and Wisconsin and Minnesota and Oregon and a a few places like that. New Hampshire certainly had a non-binding convention. The rest of the states picked delegates through party conventions, and these are generally controlled by the party bosses. Party bosses did not like Kefauver. First of all, he's a little showy. Um, Truman was involved in this. Truman had something like a 66% disapproval rating. He was enormously unpopular. It was the uh, unpopular Korean conflict. It was the re, uh, economic conditions. It was also bearing the brunt of some attacks by political opponents that there were communists in the administration. So all of that started to add up. And uh, Truman was fairly unpopular towards the end there. So just because he was unpopular didn't mean he want to stay completely out of it. He didn't have any intention in running. Uh, he claims that um had nothing to do with the primaries, that he decided not to run. There is a primary held in New Hampshire in 1952, and Kefauver beats Truman. And this is just devastating for the uh, Truman folks. But Truman claims in his memoir that he, He was planning not to run anyway. There was some talk about maybe the vice president, Alvin Barkley, but uh, some of the labor union people don't like him and consider him a little bit old. So there's a a, the reason that Adelai Stevenson gets the nomination is the party convention is in Chicago and there's kind of a local movement, a draft Stevenson that happens at that convention in 1952 and Stevenson becomes the nominee. He's also going to be the nominee in 56 and he was also talked about in 1960 as well. So primaries just weren't influential, and that's why Kefauver, despite winning the primaries and being this kind of early television candidate, doesn't win. Who would win in a boxing match between George Washington and Teddy Roosevelt? <laughs> George Washington. Six foot two, he's taller, he's got longer wreath, Theodore Roosevelt at 5'10". Might go to decision if both are in their prime. If the United States hadn't annexed Texas, would Sam Houston have won a third term as president of the Republic of Texas? Yeah, it's interesting to think of a state as a country, and that was Texas's short history. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't have. He was certainly a dominant fixture a leader in Texas politics. There were there were two main factions, though. So even though Texas has this short history, there's two main factions in Texas's short history of presidential policy. And one is Sam Houston, and the other is David Burnett and Mirabu Lamar. Uh, 
Houston had triumphed over that opposing faction with his second presidential election. And Anson Jones, who had succeeded him, was Houston's secretary of state in any case and was aligned with him. Houston would go on to win a U.S. Senate seat, and then he would win the governorship of Texas when it became a state. There's every reason to believe that uh, Houston would have had that office if he wanted it. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.